So, uh, I'm starting a new sermon series today on discipleship. On discipleship. This is a key issue in following Jesus. You know, as I've indicated to you, uh, so many people are involved in just the day one experience of salvation. Day one, I accept you, Lord. I accept you. You are my Lord and Savior. I put a chair down, and I'm done. I just wait to go be called home to you, Lord. Instead, we want to focus on the day two experience, the day two to day 10,000 experience until the Lord calls you home, which is taking up your cross and walking with him. And the song that we sang today, I will follow you, is so appropriate on this issue. I will follow you. I will do what you do. I will imitate your life in every aspect of my life so that the world can see. And so this becomes a key issue for us as Christians. How do we become disciples? What does God look for us to do? And we're going to spend four weeks drilling down on this topic. So uh, I, I hope that when we get done with this, you'll be able to explain to people in the world what it means to be a disciple of Christ and explain to people who are Christians what they need to do to enhance the day two experience. And so the essence of being a Christian is to follow Jesus Christ, to walk in his way. That is the very model of how God expects us to live. And so when you think back 2,000 years ago, and you recall the fact that Jesus picked 12 men, 12 guys to follow him, these guys were largely uneducated, mostly fishermen, some were involved in tax collecting or in some disparate business issues. But whatever they were, whatever they were doing, they left their homes, they left their families, they left their businesses, and they walked with Jesus for three years. They lived with him. They ate with him. They slept in the same places that he was. They walked all over Israel, forsaking every aspect of their former life to live and walk with Jesus Christ. And when they did that, they were observing him. They were watching him. They were looking at him. They watched the way he lived, and they watched the way he acted. It wasn't just listening to his sermons, but they looked at the very essence of his life. How did he live? How did he comport himself? And so look at how Jesus acted and how Jesus walked. First of all, outcasts, People who were thrown out of society were befriended and loved. Uh, Samaritans were, were brought in and also touched. Lepers were touched and loved. Samaritans were treated as brothers, even though no self-respecting Jew would ever do that. They'd walk on the opposite side of the street. But Jesus changed all the rules. He lived this way in every aspect of his life. Look at how Jesus treated women. How Jesus treated women who were on the bottom of the food chain, who were disregarded in that Jewish society. And yet Jesus brought women in to be his disciples. He lifted them up uh, and, and respected them. What a great God we have. And you see the Lord acting in this way. And so even children, you see, were loved and respected by the Lord. Uh, and so people learn as much by the example of the Lord as they do from the words of the Lord. And so this is a powerful example for you today. How does Jesus want you to be a disciple? What kind of life 
issues do you need to comport yourself with? And so the powerful example, really, uh, of discipleship and the life of of the disciples continues even after the crucifixion. That's when you know that you're a real disciple, you see, because when the leader is removed, the discipleship continues because the impact of that life stays forever. Uh, And so the leaders in Jerusalem who crucified Jesus, and we know this from the scriptures, are now astounded at the power and the holiness, really, of those disciples who walked with Jesus. They don't understand it. They can't believe it. These are the same guys who split when Jesus was crucified, who disappeared, and now they are speaking out with boldness, uh, and specifically, they're unschooled, uneducated. They never expected that. They thought that when they would murder Jesus, that, they would, that this work would go away. Well, that's not how God develops it. That's not what the Holy Spirit intended. And so Peter and John really are one of the first two examples of this, uh, and they are told, they are told in Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, they're instructed by the Sanhedrin to stop preaching in the name of Jesus because they had just uh, healed a crippled man. He had been crippled, and so now this had to stop. We can't have any more healing or you speaking in this name. And so you see there on the board this series of verses. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But you see, a disciple is not an ordinary person. When a a disciple follows the example of the Lord who went to the cross for his mission. And so the mere fact that a human being tells me to stop doing something when I know that God wants me to do it, it goes off my back like water off a duck's back. And that's what you need to know. And so this is how God wants you to live, to be inspired by this example. They weren't going to stop teaching or preaching or healing because the religious elite wanted them to do. They were serving God. They had a much higher call. Look, and these same religious leaders were confronted with Stephen, whose arguments are so profound uh, and so persuasive that they decided he had to die. They had to kill him. Uh, and, And so these men, these people, these disciples, the followers of Jesus, not just the 12 men, but the whole coterie of those that traveled with Jesus, they have become profound disciples, and they are impacting the, the, the kingdom of God in a powerful way. Uh, and so one of the practical issues in the early church, and you see this in Acts, is that the apostles had to find a way to take care of the needs of the widows, because the widows 
uh, needed protection. They needed to be fed. And so the apostles were taking care of that. But after a while, it became an overwhelming responsibility. And so they decided that they had to get back to the very thing that Jesus wanted them to do, which was to pray and study the Bible, to worship together. And so this, the fact that they were taking care of the widows was, was taking care, was really uh, removing those core values. And so they decided to appoint deacons, men who would be responsible, godly men who would be responsible to take care of the widows. And those seven men, one of those seven men was Stephen. Stephen, a godly man. And so one of the things that I love about Stephen is I don't see a guy who when he's appointed as a deacon, I don't see him saying, oh, look at this. I should be sitting at the table with those 12 guys. But instead, they're asking me to take care of the widows. No, he, he humbly bows. He submits to the will of God and he does it. And yet we see from scripture that God poured his power into his heart. This man became an incredibly powerful preacher and an evangelist, and he healed people. Can you imagine all this coming from a guy who had been denominated as a deacon? Uh, and so let me say that to you. Don't worry about your title, okay? Don't worry about your title. Don't say, oh, I wish I was up with John preaching right next to him because that's really what I'm called to do. God has called you to be where you are and to serve where you are, and to be a disciple where you are, starting first with your family, all right? And do that, and honor God, and God will pour his blessing into your life. And now look, we'll focus a little bit later on Stephen, but look now at the example of Peter. Despite the fact that he had denied Jesus three times, and you know that was one of the key moments in the life of Peter and the life of the Lord, where Jesus is taken into custody, and now Peter is examined right outside uh, the temple area, the palace of Herod, and examined, are you a disciple? No, I'm no disciple of that man. No, another girl says, I saw it. No, and he says it a third time. No, and now this time he blasphemes. He blasphemes to make the point, I couldn't possibly have been with him. Uh, and yet you see that Jesus loved him so much that he embraced him and brought Peter back into the flow of God's will. And so now you see the impact on the day of Pentecost, following Pentecost, where Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, now shows what does it mean to be a disciple. Um, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Because it tells us there that uh, he says, Peter says there first, that he remembered, he remembered as he was defending his actions, is with Cornelius, and he defended preaching to uncircumcised men. And then Peter says, then I remembered what the Lord had said to me, uh, that John had baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I remembered what Jesus had said to me. That's what a disciple does. I remembered. He may not be here, but I remembered, and it affects my life for sure. Then Peter also uh, re related to, to the issue after Jesus had died uh, and, and what had happened to them. And he said there that Jesus had told them that the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will remind you. It will be a living tape recorder in your mind as you're a disciple. He will keep you mindful of the words and life of Christ. 
John 16, verse 4, the words of Jesus say, I've told you this, so when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. So there was a time when the Lord walks with us personally, but then there's a time when he leaves us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to make us mindful of what it means to be a disciple. How do we continue to walk with Jesus? And so scripture reminds us that we are to imitate the holiness of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. There's the essence of your life. That's how you walk with Jesus. That's how you be a disciple of Jesus. You walk in holiness. Christians are to imitate God. You got that? Christians are to imitate God. Will we fail from time to time? Yes. But the cross is in front of us. And we take our cross and we walk and we walk in holiness. Uh, Jesus reminded us that we are to be perfect in our life just as our heavenly Father is perfect. Imitate the impartiality of God the Father in making the sun to, sun to shine on the just and the unjust, indiscriminately treating enemies and friends alike. That's the kind of disciple you are to be, that when people repudiate you or don't treat you right, you still reach out in love. You don't act like the word. The action of revenge is not a part of your life. The action of bitterness and anger is not a part of your life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You imitate his life in every way. And Jesus, again, elevated the issue of discipleship uh, and, and, and talked about this in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to 34. And he said there, if you love those who love you, what credit is this to you? Even sinners love, love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid in full. And so this is the essence of discipleship. You walk with Christ. You act the way Christ does. The disciple takes up his cross and follows Jesus and tells Jesus that through the Spirit, even if we suffer, we're suffering with him. We're walking with him. Even as we may be persecuted, we are being persecuted uh, with him. This is how we serve as examples to the world. This is how we serve as examples to the flock in every way. Uh, and this is what it means to follow the leadership of Christ Jesus. And this is what we're going to focus on for the next four weeks. Uh, and, and one of the things that Jesus noted was the fact that the, the uh, denomination of being a shepherd was written about in the Old Testament. And there, and Jesus appropriated this in Ezekiel 34, verse 11, uh, it said there, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I myself will search for my sheep. God himself will 
will search for my sheep. And you are a disciple of God and a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so your responsibility also is to be the under-shepherd and to look for the lost and to lead the lost and to go find the lost and to find those who are oppressed. Because this is what it means to be a disciple in every possible way. And John, and you see, uh, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Peter remembered the words of Jesus at the lake when, when they had their, one of their last meetings prior to Jesus ascending into heaven. Uh, and Peter, you know, was still hurting because he knew that he had denied Christ. And so Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples. How about that? You think that was a good breakfast? I don't think you could go to any restaurant and have a better restaurant, a better meal than what Jesus made that morning. He, he basically cooked fish for them. Uh, and it must have been extraordinary because made with the creator of the universe. And there in verses 21, chapter 21 of John, verses 15 to 7, 17, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and remember now, Simon Peter is hurting. He must be ashamed, but he still wants to be a disciple. So uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Looking at the other disciples. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's going to do this three times. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus was effectively giving Peter, the template of his life. This is how you are to lead your life. This is what it means to be a disciple. I said it three times to remind you that I have forgiven you as you have blasphemed me and denied me three times. But now I have repeated the cycle three times. And look at what I've told you. Take care of the sheep. Feed the lambs. Feed my sheep. Meaning what? Meaning, look at those in the flock who need special care. Look first at those who are immature and just coming. The lambs. Feed those. And then look at the sheep, those who are older and have been walking for a lot. Take care of them. Feed them. And love them. And embrace them. That is the role of the disciple. And that's your role. You see, that was the template he had given to Peter, but it's no different for you. This is what we have to do today as we live with him. There's no difference because it was 2,000 years ago as it is today. This is the most powerful thing that we can do is imitate Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Jesus did, taking care of the sheep and loving the sheep. Uh, Now, another powerful example of discipleship to me uh, is uh, the essence of Stephen, who was incredibly powerful as his life was taken from him. Those outside of the faith were astounded at the way the early followers were so much like Jesus. They couldn't believe it. These guys were with him for three years. They're uneducated, and yet look at how much they are just like Jesus. And you see this in the life and death of Stephen. 
And if we can put up on the board those examples of discipleship that we see there in his life, we'll look at these examples. Uh, For example, Stephen, it tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 9, it says that Stephen was full of God's grace and power. You see, God elevates a disciple. He elevates humility and submission. So Stephen was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. It says he did great wonders and miraculous signs. That's in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. This is a deacon, but he's doing great wonders, preaching in a powerful way and and doing miraculous signs. He's a disciple of Christ. He's imitating Christ. The enemies of the Lord could not stand up against the wisdom of his spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse verse 10. When he spoke, and his speech is the longest speech in the New Testament, longer more than any speech that Paul gave, Stephen goes back and gives the history of the Jewish people, even before they were put into captivity. He takes it from Abraham and brings it to the time that they walked into the promised land and then jumps to the crucifixion of Christ. And he did this as a hostile audience stood there with stones in their hand, ready to destroy him. And yet he had the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit of God because he was a disciple, because he was filled with the Spirit of God, because he knew what his call was. He was to imitate Jesus. And they produced false witnesses against him. Uh, Acts 6, 13, just like they did to Jesus. They brought people out that that lied about him. They lied just like you're going to experience people that are going to lie about you. And yes, let me break it to you. Some of those lies may even emanate from church. All right? I'm sorry to tell you. Don't think that because you're in church that you're going to be free from the influence of Satan. I'm sorry to say that's not necessarily the fact. And so these religious leaders lied about him. Lied about him. Uh, and, and then what happened? It tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 15, they all looked intently at him as he spoke. Why not? Because his face was like the face of an angel. Because the power and the words coming out of his mouth were emanating from the Holy Spirit. Because he was just like Jesus. He had become fully a disciple of the Lord, and that's what God wants from you. This is how we are to live. This is the power of our lives. And there he is, moments, moments before he will be stoned to death. He says he looks up to heaven as the stones begin to be raining down on him. He says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, even as death is being rained upon him. And then he says this incredible thing that only a true disciple of God could say in Jesus. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Can you imagine? Receive my spirit, Father, even as life is being taken away from me. And Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Just as Jesus said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who can live like this? Who can die like this? But only a true disciple of God. And then the words tell us that godly men buried him and mourned deeply for him. Well, there was one person in attendance for this whose life was changed forever by what he saw. And that was Saul. A Pharisee's Pharisee, who would become Paul. Uh, and so he saw Stephen. And even though he was integrally involved 
in that death, approving of that death, holding the coats of the very people who were throwing stones. I'm sure that he listened and watched Stephen as he died. Uh, and it must have been so profound uh, that it ultimately affected the life of the chief persecutor of the church. And I'm sure he remembered the words of Stephen. He remembered the words himself as they tried to stop the Christian movement. Uh, and, and what he saw was that here is this man imitating the life of Jesus himself. Uh, and and it, we, we know that he had to be incredibly influenced and this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to be an influence. Can you imagine influencing a man who becomes Paul? You have no idea the extent of the influence God will use in your life to impact the kingdom. And so one of the things that we know that Jesus said to Paul, you are pick, prick, uh, kicking against the goads and pricks of the spirit. You're kicking against. What do you think Jesus meant? You're being convicted, Paul, even as he came down on him on the road to Damascus. I know you're being convicted. And I want you to think about that. And so Stephen's speech uh, in Acts chapter 6 is twice as long as anything recorded by Paul. That's how important it, it is. Uh, and Stephen argued that the foundation of the faith in Israel began even before they left Egypt that God had pronounced it even before and called them the, the chosen people even before they ever set a foot uh, in the promised land. And he said one, one other very important thing that I'm sure uh, remained with Paul. He said, God is not limited to a temple in Jerusalem. God is not limited to a temple in Jerusalem. God does not habitate in a building. He is everywhere in the people of God, in their hearts, and in their spirits. And I'm sure that that emanated with Paul as he began to understand the call of Christianity on his own life. Uh, and look, when you look, you see the example of, of, of Paul as he was impacted by Stephen. Impacted by Stephen and impacted by the followers of Jesus. Uh, and you see this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And I want you to re uh, reflect on this. And there it says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Watch me. You don't have to listen to the words I say, but look at my life. My life should reflect Christ in every possible way. He spoke even more powerfully to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 to 7, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Spirit. And so you have become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. How do you become a model? You become a model not in the great times, not when blessings are being poured on your life, but when there's hard times. When there's difficulties, when there's persecution, when there's suffering, and you still emanate the life of Christ. That's when the world says there's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. I want what they have. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. In Philippians 2 Verse 5, he said, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. One of the great passages in the in New Testament, which really 
really brings me to my knees. Who? Who? Jesus. Who? Being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus didn't do that, even though he was God. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Can you imagine that? God himself. It's as if you look down at a colony of ants and your heart is broken because the ants are all going to be destroyed. And instead you say, God, make me one of the ants so I can help to get them saved. Can you imagine being God and becoming an ant? Well, that's effectively the, the metaphor of what, what happens here. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the nature of discipleship, submission, humility, and, and obedience. Therefore, and I love this word, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the church said, don't ever forget it. And even though right now not every knee is bowing, not every knee is bowing, but I want to assure you, I've read the last page in the Bible. I've read the last page. We win. He wins. And every knee will bow. Not just on the earth, but under the earth. All of the forces of evil will bow to Jesus Christ, including Satan himself who will recognize this is, in fact, God himself. Look, folks, this is the essence of discipleship. This is why we're going to spend four weeks on this. You understand salvation. You're all saved. You've given your heart to Jesus Christ. Now I want you to go from that day one experience to the day two to day 10,000. For the rest of your life, picking up that cross, walking with Jesus, impacting the world, letting the world see what does it mean? What does it mean, God, to be a follower of Christ? How has my life changed and how am I changing those around me? Amen. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. And as I do this closing prayer, it will also serve as a benediction. And I will also then call our treasurer up here to give our financial report. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us as we understand the essence of discipleship, Father. I pray as we look at the disciples and see the essence of their lives and we see the example of Peter and John and Stephen, Father, that we are inspired to walk with you in a more powerful way, to show the world what does it mean to be a disciple as we reach out in this way, Father. And so let us resonate at this. Let this be in our hearts. Let us reflect on this. Let us leave here empowered, Father, to know that this is how you want us to, want us to live. Father, I ask you also that as we hear the financial report that that you bless these words. I bless our people who have committed themselves to this church in a powerful and submissive way. Lord, bless each and every one of them for everything that they've done 
to advance the work of this church. Lord Jesus, we put all this in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to invite our, our treasurer to come up here, Vic Lombardo. And I, and I want to, before I turn it over to him, I want to tell you something that I read yesterday in preparation for this from uh, Pew Research, you know, does Christian research, that indicated that uh, 46% of the churches in America, you got that number? 46% of the churches in America have fewer than 100 people. How about that? That immediately puts us in the top 50%. All right? So I want you to understand that. So don't go thinking always in your mind about mega churches and large congregations. We're here to serve the congregation of God one by one. Amen?